How you is? Sleepy? No, it's how you is. Yeah? <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, we're going to be punctual today. Try to start on time and end on time. Keep Mel and Landon your prayers. They are um, heading towards heading towards a funeral today. Um, to a funeral, uh, they're going to someone's funeral. Lens, I th- don't hold me to what I'm about to say, but I think it's Lens. Yeah, Lens friend or Lens friend's father's funeral. Something like that. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray and get started. Uh, Father, we thank you that you allow us to take another breath, to open up our eyes, to have cognitive reasoning that we can think straight and that all the all of all of our bodily functions are working properly as you have designed it. Uh, we thank you for those small things. We also thank you for everyone else who is not here and on their way. Uh, we pray that you will continue to guide them and protect them as well. We pray for our brother and sister, Mel and Lynn. Uh, we pray that you will comfort their hearts and comfort Lynn's friends, families, heart, hearts, and um, be with them. And we also pray for today's discussion. Pray that you will open up our hearts and minds uh, to your word and ultimately uh, to your son, Jesus Christ, who we adore and worship. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So, I knew that Mel wasn't going to be here this morning. He will be here. Mel and Lynn will be here this afternoon. However, Mel asked me to fill in, and which I am more than happy to do. So, I asked him. What have you guys been talking about? Um, as you know, I'm upstairs with my Sunday school kids having a blast. Um, and I asked what, what was the subject you guys been talking about. Um, and I, so he told me that you guys have been talking about God's authority. Does that sound right? Maybe? Yeah? Okay, let me read the text message. Okay. Yeah, and it's good to see you, Mrs. Khan. It is. Um, He said the theme has been about God's power and authority to act even when he 
dozens. Okay. Um, he said, you guys have been going through a book. I don't have that particular book. However, I wanted to keep up with that theme, but from a different perspective. So when I automatically, when I heard um, that you guys have been talking about God's power and authority, I automatically thought about uh, God's, I automatically thought about uh, church discipline. No, that's fine, but we're not going to go through it. All right. Um, I thought about church discipline. Because um, that's, when, uh, that's when, I, when I hear authority, when I hear power, I, I, that's what I thought about. Um, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Church discipline. Okay. Um, let's start off with the question, what is church discipline? Well, let's pause there. As we go through this, let's, let's think about in that framework, God's authority and God's power, um, and how that is directly, um, directly how that is for the church as well, okay? All right, so that's the framework that I'm working with, and that's what I'm thinking about. Um, so the question, what is church discipline, or questions, what is church discipline? Should we practice church discipline? Do we practice church discipline? Um, and if not, why? Okay. What is? What are the benefits of church discipline? All right. So those are the questions that I was thinking about for the last two days, and that's what we're going to uh, talk about this morning. Okay. So let's ask. Let's answer the first question. What is church discipline? What is your? Give your answer to that question. You're right. Obedience and order. Yeah. Obedience and order. Anybody else? And Mrs. Khan is correct, too. And uh, her answer, um, she kind of answered several other questions as well. Uh, she talked about restoration. If a person sinned, um, the point of church discipline is to admonish that individual and bring them back to restoration because that's the ultimate goal of church discipline. Um, that's the point of church discipline. You want to restore that brother or sister back to Christ and back into the fold of the sheep. Okay. What else? Okay. All right. Well, I, I, there are a lot of impressions um, 
that people have when, those, when they hear those terms, church discipline. Um, and I would say they speak out of ignorance. I remember when uh, a, a friend of mine's, uh, we talked about church discipline, and that friend asked another person uh, that we were talking about di- church discipline, and he just uh, asked them, what would you do if someone tried to discipline you within the church? And an individual said, I would bring my uh, Glock 45 and point it at that person's face. Uh, this is what my friend has talk- <laughs> told me. Um, and he said, I wish somebody would try to discipline me. Uh, that's just ignorant, right? Um, or ignorance. Um, so, but also, people also think that, okay, church discipline is an unpleasant experience. Church discipline is an unpleasant experience. It is unpleasant, I would admit to that, but not in the sense of of we shouldn't be doing this. Well, I'll put it this way. It's uncomfortable. All right. Go ahead. You're right. Um, I agree, Mrs. Khan, uh, with you. Uh, because it is a messy situation when you are, quote, uh, invading someone's life, end quote, um, and it seems uh, uh, 
evasive, uh, invasive. Uh, it seems intruding. Um, it seems as if that you're, you're just prying into someone else's life. And not only that, you're trying to have a posture of, 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 of a holding to a standard. Um, and other people are saying how, just as Mrs. Khan just pointed out, how can you hold this individual to a standard and, and other people are, or even including that person, uh, is not holding themselves to the standard. You're about to say something. So you're right. Uh, so to bring that to the logical conclusion would be it's, on, it's also for restoration, but collectively for the church is for your holiness. It's uh, bringing the church to holiness. And once that occurs, you will lose money. You will lose members of the church. As you can't have both. Either you're going to keep the individual who is who is tithing a thousand dollars a month and keep them happy knowing that they are in sin or you're going to call that individual to holiness and say hey brother or sister this is not of God this is of the flesh Um, go ahead Miss Mary Right, professing, uh, quote, believers, end quote, uh, professing believers who say that they are in Christ. Um, we were talking about those individuals. We don't know where they are, they stand um, in terms of their salvation, but they are professing to be believers in Christ. Yeah, and so you're. No, I understand. So we're going to talk about that too. Where should we uh, conduct church discipline? Um, is it outside the church or inside the church? Um, and if and how should we respond to the individual who will habitually sin and is continually to come to coming to the church? All right. So we're going to talk about that. Um, there's two forms of discipline. Um, again, it's not on is church discipline is good. It is for God. It is for the church uh, to be holy. 
Uh, It's for the individual to be holy. It is to uplift Christ's name because we have to be mindful that when we talk about church discipline and a person who is sinning and that person who is professing to be a believer, they are dragging the Lord's name through the mud. All right. I don't know about you, but I know about me. Um, and I know what scripture says. A good name is better than silver and a good reputation is better than silver and gold. Um, and with that being said, when we when a person is sinning and they dragging and they say, oh, well, I can sin, I can do what I want. And I am a Christian. Well, that's bringing dishonor to our Lord. That's, that's saying, OK, well, if if that person is a Christian, then. The God that he's serving must be like that, too. You know, that's one of the ideals in the back of people's minds. All right. So in terms of how how discipline works, there's two forms. There's one that is corrective. All right. And there's one that is formative. All right. What I mean by corrective is someone is you are been brought into correction and formative is a form of training okay uh when we think about well when you think about uh discipline also think about discipleship right discipline discipleship they both have the same root word and greek and it plays out differently right discipleship is the formative discipline when the disciples were uh, in training uh, under the tutor under the tutor of Christ right and discipline has that same meaning but it can also mean corrective okay um, uh, turn to second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16. And you would, I want you to see the formative and the corrective uh, part of church discipline. All right. It says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. All right. And here's the formative training. I'm at formative uh, discipline and for training and righteousness for training and righteousness. There is no. Uh, harsh or unpleasant dis- or corrective discipline here, you're formerly been trained under the word of God. So as we all continue to read, uh, continue to devote ourselves to, to study the Bible, uh, continue to be under each other and fellowship with, you, with each other, that is formative training, Okay. All of us are being taught what is righteousness. So 
the text is Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Um, and let's continue. He said, "All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." And we can continue with verse seventeen that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can liken this to doctors. They formerly were trained in, in medicine, okay, or, or teachers or lawyers. That's formative uh, discipline, okay? All right, so question? Thoughts? Okay, questions? Thoughts? All right, let's continue. Um, All right, let's go ahead and bring up what Miss Mary stated. Uh, where should church discipline take place? Where should church discipline take place? No, you're absolutely correct. You're thinking about Matthew chapter 18. You're right. Um, so that's where should it take place in a private setting. Uh, that's the first initial step. Um, go ahead. Okay, you want to go there? Yeah. <coughs> Matthew 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mary and Mrs. Gunn. Um, 
Matthew 18, verses 15 through 19. Let's read together. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. All right, let's pause there. That's the that's where we should correct someone privately. All right, and I'm I'm stressing this point because it's very important. Because if it's a private matter, it should stay private because you don't want to cause further harm or injury to that individual. You don't want to turn that individual away. All right, you want to shed light to what is going on, but that has to take place in a private setting. Okay? And that's just been just that's just using wisdom. So if some if you see me in sin, it would be behooving of you to say, "Hey, Travis, uh let me talk to you for a second. Um, let's talk about this. I have noticed this. I I have uh, been uh, observing for the last couple of months. And I'm saying that because you don't want to be pretentious. You don't want to be forward or you don't want to do something too quickly. You want to observe first to make sure things are so, right? But if you've been uh, observing, say, hey, Travis, I noticed that you've been doing this and, you know, what you're doing is sin, or you want to use choose your words carefully, because <laughs> right, the, mo- the moment that you say what you have been doing is sin, depending on the listener, that individual gonna say what sin? I can bring up all the sin that I saw you doing. And if that's the case, then we are back in Matthew chapter seven. Uh, before you try to put a log out of someone else, I right. <laughs> so, and if yeah, well, come correct. <laughs> then we're not gonna you you or or me. We're not gonna get anywhere with church discipline because both uh, both individuals gonna have a self have a posture of self-righteousness. All right? So that's why we have to use our words carefully. It's a, it is a delicate situation because we are dealing with fallen humans. Okay? Uh, but so the private matter is important because if you can restore that brother or sister in a private setting, then you shouldn't go any further than that. Moreover, you should not tell someone else. Okay? You should not tell someone else. That is contingent on the degree of that person's sin. Okay? And also the position that that person have either in the church or uh, in a secular setting, if that person is, so whatever the case be, you have to use wisdom. So in a private setting, that brother or sister say, yeah, 
you're right. Um, you're absolutely right. And that person repents and is restored and you observe for a good several months and say, my, my brother or my sister have been restored to the, to back to the foe and back to Christ, then the dis- discipline is settled. Yes. Yeah, no, that's the whole point, Mrs. Ca- Ms. Carroll. Uh, go ahead. You about to say something? Ms. Ann? Okay. No, you're right. That's the whole point. Um, you don't want to gossip. You don't want to discipline or bring corrective discipline to someone. And then you are too, you too are in sin. You, you don't want to do that. So that's why we have to do it in a private setting. Okay. Um, so let's continue with working with uh, Matthew 18. He says in verse, I read 15 again. Matthew 18:15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, to, uh, listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. So we're no longer in a private setting. Okay. We're now going public with this. There's, there's not two individuals that involve the the allegedly the person who is in sin and the person who is bringing corrective discipline there are five there are at least five people involved four people is going to bring corrective discipline to the individual and and the other person is is going to be corrected okay all right so five people are involved now um, depending on, again, depending on the degree of the sin, it could be more. It doesn't necessarily have to be two or three, but the two or three here is like a safety mechanism. It's not just your word against the other person. It's the other person's word against, uh, according to what other people have heard as well. So they, too, are coming into the picture and saying, okay, we have heard this charge. We're trying to figure out if this is true. If it is, I mean, if so, let me hear your side. 
and if everything pans out the way that the the person who was bringing corrective discipline, then hey, we have a problem here. All right. Any thoughts? Okay, let's continue. Um, this uh, verse 17: If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. All right. Now I want to pause here because. Um, because we're, if you're going to tell it to the church now, it is no longer private. It is no longer semi-private between two or three witnesses and the person who is in sin. It is now going public. Now the entire church is involved. Say that again, Miss Joy. <laughs> That's what generally happens. But that individual who says that and have that line of thinking really don't understand what church discipline is. Again, the benefits of church discipline is to bring that individual back to restoration, bring, bring that individual back into the fold, all right? It is to help that individual to uplift Christ's name. But, that's, but you're right. That's what happens. People go start church hopping. All right, well, you trying to discipline me? Uh, okay, I told that brother, now two or three witnesses are coming. Uh, I told them to, well, I'm still not going to repent. Therefore, I got to bring it to the church. Go ahead, Charles. Yeah, obviously. For sure. Um. But I do want to pause here because I, re- I remember, um, here's a, I remember an individual who says he's a professing believer. Um, this individual have a braggadocious, prideful attitude about himself. Um, if everything that he touches is gold, everything that he says is gold. That's, the, that's what I observe. Um, and it could be a strength of his. But that strength played out into in, in, into weakness as well. Um, so this individual, in his mid thirties, uh, went to a church. He's on the choir, a praise team, practicing, and at the same time, he is sleeping with a young female at around the age of eighteen. All right, so. They're sleeping together. He told me. Now, I'm. He told me what happened. He's very honest, but there's no sense of that he wanted to repent. So basically, he said everybody have their faults. Everybody have their sins uh, that they deal with, and that's how it is. Yeah, and I'm flabbergasted because I'm like I'm in a situation because I understand. What scripture says, I even told, <laughs> I even talked to Pastor Gus about it. I said, should I tell his pastor? <laughs> you know, <laughs> those are the thoughts that went through my mind. Yeah, and Pastor Gus advised me not to, I, and which is fine, and I didn't. But a person like that, I must say, in accordance to what Matthew have recorded, 
in Matthew 18, 17. So if he refuses to listen to them, the two and three witnesses, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. What does that mean? Excommunication. Me? I, that was no. That's fine. That's a good question. That's a that was Pastor. Go, that's Pastor Gus' line of thinking. My thinking is, well, it, yeah. You know, here's because here's the thing. The way I see it, by me going to that individual's pastor, if he believes in the Lord, if he want to uphold God's name and keep it holy and restore the other in, this individual back to the church, then there shouldn't be any problems. Now, I'm running a risk if that individual is not like that, if that pastor is not like that. That's why Pastor Gus advised me not to. Well, sometimes pastors or elders never get wind of anything. Sin can be under the radar for such a long time. Go ahead, Miss Ann. Yeah. Right. You're absolutely right. And that's why. Uh, Dorian and Dante down here, guys. And I agree with that. That was Pastor Gus' uh, line of thinking. So that's the difference between having biblical knowledge and wisdom, right? Because everything is not going to play out the way that you expected. Like, if we're reading the same Bible, then he should come to this conclusion too. But that's not the case. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, okay. You're right. Um, listen to this from First Timothy. We're talking about excommunication. Uh, listen to this from First Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. He says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Rebuke them in the presence of all. So this is the individual who is, who is not heeding to the corrective discipline and, and continuing to sin. So the next step is to, okay, well, this individual is continuing to sin, church, is in sin, church. Therefore, we are rebuking this. Why? Why should we rebuke someone in the presence of all? Yeah. No, we sh- we should. Like, okay. Um, good example of this is Ananias and Sapphira, right? Peter rebuked them in the presence of all, and those two individuals were struck down by God the Holy Spirit. And after that, it's very interesting because for those who have heard of the church, said they do not want any part of it, but hold them in reverence uh, or revere them. Because they knew, okay, I have heard about Ananias and Sapphira, I respect that church. I respect what they're doing, but I don't want any part of it. I don't want that to happen to me, too. Go ahead, Faith. Mm Okay. I agree. And we talked about that, that the point of church discipline is to is for restoration. But I, wa- I want everybody to turn back to Matthew 18 so I can uh, add a footnote to what Faith just stated. Turn back to Matthew 18 and just look at the headings of Matthew 18, uh, starting, starting with uh, Matthew, the first heading. In my Bible, it says, who is the greatest? Okay. Second heading is temptation to sin. Third heading in Matthew 18 is the parable of the lost sheep. And the fourth heading is if your brother sins against you. All right. So what what I want you to see here is between... The parable in the lost sheep and your brothers, your if your brother sin against you, that heading, is that they're one of the same. The principle in the parable of lost sheep is one is connected to if the other individual who is sinning. 
Does that make sense? Because if the shepherd is going out there to find the sheep and to restore the sheep back to the fold, that's the same principle that we see in Matthew 18, verses 15 through uh, 19. Because the, the, the person who is in sin is the lost sheep. But what we do when we read stuff like this, because how this, how uh, Bible translators have translated the text and put headings, is that we compartmentalize uh, these headings. Say this is a separate issue, that's another separate issue, but it's not. Restoration is the goal. You want that lost sheep be brought back into the fold of God. Okay? All right. So let's continue with uh, excommunication, though. Um, Just pointing out some passages. Uh, Turn to Galatians 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, Galatians 2.14, he says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is Paul speaking to Peter. Paul confronted Peter in front of the entire church and rebuking Peter. Okay? All right. Because I'm against the clock, let's uh, run through this very quickly. Um, <clears throat> so, where should we, just to recap, where should we... Practice self-discipline, where should it be first? In a private setting, okay? In a private setting. If that individual is in continuing sin, then we should make it semi-private by bringing two or three witnesses into the picture or more. If that person continues to sin and say, I'm not going to repent, I don't want to be brought back to the fold, then we should bring it to the church and make it publicly known before everyone. And by doing so, we are rebuking that person. We, we're not being condescending to that individual like you low dog, dirty individual who is sinning. That's not our language. Our language when we rebuke someone, this brother or sister is in sin And we do not condone this. And this is what happens. We love them. We want to restore them back to the church, but they are are unwilling to do that, to go through the process of church discipline. After that, here's excommunication. Something that we don't want to do. This is your friend. This is, your, this is the person that you communion with for the last 18 years. But we have to excommunicate them. And how do we do that? That's the question. So uh, turn 
to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 4, 14. Because Jesus said, if they refuse us to repent, then treat them like a Gentile. And in Jesus' day, where were Gentiles wasn't a part of the fold of Israel. They were outside of Israel. All right. So. If someone there, you can go ahead and read it. First Corinthians four fourteen. All right. I'm there. It says. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. All right? So there's the admonishment. Um, turn to, that was not, I wasn't really looking for that. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. Second Thessalonians chapter three verse fourteen. Let's read thirteen is two as uh, two. Uh, it says As ye, for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Verse fourteen, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, Take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Okay? Um, let's, let's see. And here's, here's a good reason for this. Scripture says a little leaven leavens what? The whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, also Scripture says that sin spreads like king green. Scripture also says uh, bad company corrupts good character. So, with that in mind, if we are disassociating ourselves from the unrepentant individual who, des- who desires to, to be in sin, we're protecting ourselves, and we're protecting the church. Because if the thought is, if that person can do that, then I can too. If that person can sin and continue to sin, then I can do that too. But we know we don't practice that in our households. We, don't, we didn't practice that with our children. My mom didn't allow me to do that. So, that's, so by excommunicating by or disassociating yourself from the individual, 
you're bringing shame upon that person. You're saying that, okay, does that always have to disassociating? Is that in the church? Church building? Yes. But is, is how about... How about if you see that person in the market or at the shop or at the mall or at the grocery store? Are you going to talk to them like, hey, let's get dinner. Let's go hang out. I was, I will, for me, I would say, well, it's going to be, I'm going to be torn. I'm going to be like, well, I can't do that right now. He's my boss. That's fine. No, I can. We, yeah, the point is to restore. But if that person say, "Well, let's let's hang out," I'm gonna have to decline because I'm still disassociating myself from that person if he or she uh, is unwilling to repent and be restored. Yeah, that will yeah, that will determine. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right, Miss Carol. No, you're right. You're right. Uh let's come to a close. Uh j- turn back to Matthew eighteen and look at verses uh eighteen and nineteen as well. Matthew 18, verses 18 and 19. All right. He says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done from I mean, for them by my Father in heaven verse 24 where two or three are gathered in my name there am i among them i see two things in those verses i see one the principle of prayer and two god's authority the principle of prayer and god's authority because if you're agreeing it's not that well you are exacting the authority that you have within the church to say we are doing this collectively. And by doing so, God the Father is in agreement with that course of action. All right? All right. Thoughts? Conundrums? Everybody's like, it's time to go. But it's okay. I thank you for your patience. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have commanded us to do. And thank you uh, for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that um, uh, today's speaker will uh, speak to us from your word and from our Lord's heart. I pray this in his name, in Jesus Christ. Amen.